City Limits. Brought to us by the People's Committee for Melbourne every Wednesday at 9am. City Limits is Melbourne's only hour devoted to our urban environment. To transport and planning and housing issues. To privatisations and our utility services. To building and or maintaining a sense of community. 855 on the AM band, if we can hear it through the noise and find it through the smog. City Limits. Okay, City Limits on the air, and uh, I don't think my... Is my mic on? I can't hear myself in the headphones. Oh, yeah, it is. There you go. How about that? A bit louder. Yeah, I can't hear myself now, Uh, which is not necessarily a good thing. Um, (laughs) But anyway, um, City Limits, it's the fifth Wednesday of the month, isn't it? It is indeed. Yes. And uh, Meg Kimber over there, who's the other voice, I'm Kevin Healy. And Meg, you've teed up a couple of guests today. Yes, I'll pour some tea while you uh, tell tell all that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We have two guests today. And um, one of them is Ben Rossiter from Victoria Walks. He's the executive officer there and also the vice president of the International Federation of Pedestrians. So he's representing all the pedestrians of the world today. Right. Yeah. I didn't know there was an international pedestrian model. Well, we'll ask him about it. And um, after Ben, we're going to talk to Nancy Atkin, who's representing the Brunswick Residents Network. Um, which is, you know recently had some community forums about pedestrian safety in Moreland, which apparently is one of the is the second most uh, deadly council mm. area for pedestrians and bikes and bicyclists and, bicy- and cyclists in yeah. fact rather than bikes and both I suppose they go together don't they cyclists and bikes it does uh, rather yeah. yeah yeah anyway um good we'll, yeah. we'll catch up with all that and. Mm. Uh, and uh, we might even play a couple of walk songs or a walk song, but we'll see how we go. Yeah, as, as opposed to as opposed songs. to the classic work song or yeah. something from years ago. Speaking of, uh, we're going. Well, we should mention in about a mm-hmm. minute we're going to cross to the um, the iMart uh, and get a get an update. PCR getting updates all the time, and I, I think um, you know this has shown what a critical. What a critical role 3CR can play in getting this stuff out because the, yes. in the mainstream media it's just been lie after lie. And, uh-huh, yes. Uh, I, watched, I watched a commercial news last night. and what? um Yes, and, and its emphasis was, the, the first line was, four police were hurt, yeah. um, violence on the streets of Melbourne, etc. Yeah. No, and uh, the film showed it, but no mention in the, in the commentary or anything else that, in fact, the violence was instigated by the coppers and the... Mm. the Protesters are completely peaceful, but it's mm. it's pretty nasty stuff. And mm. um, mm-hmm. the coppers are getting back to what they were when I was, you know, a Vietnam War and really? Springbok tours, etc. When I was young and protests, then when the coppers were just as violent. And, yeah, right. Uh, and it's uh, very much that I'm seeing that on the screen on the screen last night. And um, have we got someone on the line yet? Oh, we have Jess from Wednesday breakfast on right. The line. Jess yes. from Wednesday breakfast on. So I'll pop her through. Right. Right, Jess, down there. Hello, Jess, down there. Look, I was just saying, as an old man, in my youth, um, the Vietnam War protests and the Springbok protest in 1970, uh, they were the most violent I was ever in, but there were shades of that down there yesterday, I think, and probably today. What's going on? Yeah, no, it's getting really hectic down here. So I've been down here since maybe 20 past seven. Um, Since then, there's actually been a pepper spray incident, as well as, I think, some people have been detained. I'm not confirming that yet, but that's what the word is going around the crowd. Um, there's a lot more people than there were this morning. Um, whilst people are trying to get into the convention centre, 
Um, obviously, the protesters are just trying to, like, you know, get like get get really into them, like question their morale, intimidate them, and you know, the police are just fighting back in such a ridiculous way. Like they've got horses in there, as as you saw yesterday on the media and while well, talking to us. Um, yeah, it's just it's really it's hectic. Um, the police are pushing people who are sitting on the sidewalk, uh, walks, um, kicking them, this sort of thing, um, whilst people are just protesting, you know? There's no... I have not seen any violence back from the protesters. It's all just been via the police. So that's where we're at at the moment, <laughs> whilst people still make their way into the convention centre. Wow. It sounds like yeah. um, the kind, uh, kind of responses that police are giving to protests all over the world at the moment, including places like Chile and... Uh... Yeah, exactly. And, like, one of the big things that people are, like, protesting and shouting back to them is we're not a police state and we're Mm. not and we shouldn't be. And, like, it's a really, it's quite prevalent amongst the protesters who are actually, you know, going with that. You know, we we aren't a police state and this is what they're quite angry at when Mm. they're just making a a blockade. Um, You know, they're not, they're not physically harming the people going into the convention centre, not what Jermaine's seen here this morning. Mm. Um, but, yeah, so it's quite, it's really quite frightening. This, this of course, proves the, the theory that uh, in any given society, the structures of that society, from the law to everything else, the parliament itself, are, are structured to preserve... Oh, structure to preserve the status quo, which in our society is capitalism, and I think what we're seeing is that the police's role is to protect capitalism. It's as simple as that. Yeah, it's exactly right. And this whole, it's like a, ta- a complete chain, as capitalism is, and it's stemming from the systematic capitalist, you know, theory that, you know, the police are there to protect that. And when the people aren't happy, as we are not now, um, the police get into action, and it's like you can really... I think, but one of the great things from this, I think, is that, you know, as bad as as it is, the police, you know, firing up even more so as yesterday, it is probably frightening for this system to see that the people are rising up against these big capitalist machines that are, you know, don't care about our earth, our people or anything that we're fighting for. And, you know, it's great to see, but also at the same time, it's like, it's just quite, quite, quite saddening to see this capitalist clog in work still, so... Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Were you going to say something? No. no. Okay. Uh, I was. I was going to comment that last. I mentioned earlier. You might have heard me. I mentioned on last night's commercial news. I happened to watch. Um, they opened by saying four police were injured, violence on the streets of Melbourne, and the implication <laughs> through the whole coverage, although what you were seeing didn't didn't support it. Uh, was that it was the protesters who were violent to the police. Um, and, you, mm-hmm. and you've just made the point, of course, that the protesters have been quite peaceful. Yeah, no, from, from what I've... Like, I can't vouch for, what, for yesterday or what's happened in previous times because I was not there, but today when I've seen it, like, protesters will obviously, like, be... Not in, in their face, you know, as protesters do, like, chanting their chants, all that sort of thing, but, like, from what I've seen, it's, like, police pushing people out of the way, um... Not giving them, even it's not even giving them a chance. Like you know, there there were um, protesters coming down Clarendon Street to the convention centre maybe about ten minutes ago, and that's when the police started to get a bit more fired up. And you know, a girl came up to me with like a scratch on her arm and like this sort of thing. When and you could see that like you know the protesters aren't they weren't kicking back or starting on or provoking at first. It's just last. It's like they're not even using it as a last resort. It's just like pushing them out of the way straight mm. away sort of thing. It's like. It's, it's just not on, really. It's 2019 sort of thing. 
Yeah, and we'll probably have to wind up in, in a minute, yeah. unfortunately, but, but um, mm-hmm. listeners uh, should be aware that 3CR will be um, reporting from the blockade all day today, from my understanding. And, and tomorrow. And tomorrow. And so, Jess, do you mm-hmm. know anything that's um, planned for today or, or how people can get involved or anything like that? Basically, just get down here if you can. Um, I've spoken to the organisers and staff. They're just going to be keeping as strong as possible. Um, maybe if you can try to get here before 12, that's when it usually dies off. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, just get down here, um, support it, put it out on social media, get people on it. Um, yeah. Great. All right. Look, Jess, thanks for that report. We'll be hearing reports throughout the day, but um, keep you know, congratulations and uh, and uh, keep being uh, peaceful to the uh, the violent coppers. Definitely. No worries. <laughs> thanks, guys. Thanks, Jess. <laughs> okay. So we have our yeah. first guest in the studio. He's yeah. had plenty of time to settle in and feel comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> this is the, the tightest city limits that we've ever done. We have two guests coming into the studio today. And so, Ben, you're from the uh, Victoria Walks, that's right? Yes. And also the Vice President of the International Federation of Pedestrians, I saw yes. on the yeah. internet. <laughs> yep, we've just had our General Assembly in Rotterdam. Fantastic. Uh, Can I, we start with that, perhaps? Yeah, I didn't realise there was an international body for pedestrians. So yeah, yeah, there is. It's been around for quite a few decades, um, and I've been Vice President since 2014, but it's uh, really, I guess, been quite invigorated over the last uh, eight or so years. It's, the, if you like, the peak body for uh, pedestrian walking organisations in Nationally, okay. I should know off the top of my head. That's about thirty-five thousand mem- uh, thirty-five members, organisations oh. in uh, different continents around the world. And uh, our role is just really to coordinate and bring things together. Um, has been unfunded, but now getting funding from a few different sources and doing some consultancy. Mm. So, what kind of what, which countries are represented in uh, every continent apart from Africa? Uh, which is also sort of, uh, I think Africa is one of the continents which has really high pedestrian injuries and fatalities, mm. but just at a level of its development uh, that advocacy is slow to take off because uh, it doesn't have support um, from you know lots of governments and NGOs. But there are NGOs around the world working in Africa. Uh, but Asia, particularly Europe, because it came out of Europe, mm. North America, a lot in South America mm. um, and Central America, particularly because I... The General Assembly's held at an international conference called Walk 21 Annual Conference. Last year it was in Bogota. Mm. So there was a lot of representation from South American com- countries, Chile, Argentina, um, Colombia, uh, yeah, Brazil, mm. Brazil particularly. So, yeah, yeah. Right. And their advocacy is a bit different to ours. Advocacy in walking around uh, in uh, con- uh, sort of European and Australian countries, Australian and sort of North American is a lot around... Um, policy, you know, with uh, governments at a high level, but there it's advocacy is a lot about really on the streets fighting against uh-huh. traffic, like, you know, cars not stopping crossings and taking direct action, where ours is a lot more around policy and health promotion. Oh. What sort of direct action do they take to sort of get out on the road and stop the traffic or something? Yeah, yeah, that's that sort of thing. I forget uh-huh. there's a guy who started a movement about five years ago who dresses up, I forget his name, um, but like a superhero uh-huh. and gets out and sort of, you know... <laughs> Puts his, you know, covered mask and stops in front of traffic and really that sort of stuff. So super paid. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's I'm forgetting his name, but it's kind of something like that. And he really has started a bit of a movement and does really great things. Really, just throwing yourself in front of uh, wow. when cars don't stop at zebras or creep over the zebra crossing and stuff. So yeah, that's one yeah. of the questions that I um, had for you after looking at the Victoria Walks um, website because there there was a mention of. Um, 
uh, driver entitlement, mm. which is a really interesting concept. I remember being in Portland, in Oregon, in the United States, and the culture there, um, it's unspoken, but cars always stop for pedestrians. If you're on the side of the road, even if there's no crossing or, um, you know, even if yeah. the lights are uh, green for a car to go, often they will stop. And yeah. it was very confusing as an Australian who's used to always, as a pedestrian, giving way to cars. Um, it just goes to show that the whole idea of that dr- cars have automatic right of way is very cultural. And yeah, not it's cu- cultural, isn't yeah. it? We have a very aggressive cycling, uh, <laughs> driving culture, yeah. sorry, yeah. for cyclists and walkers. It's very yeah. aggressive towards them. Yeah. Um, yeah. But there's also different road rules in North America. A lot of them are give way. So we give way, supposed to give way mm-hmm. as drivers to people uh, crossing the road you're turning into, mm-hmm. but not the road you're, you're leaving. Yeah. But in mm. North America, some states, um, have you have to stop there. The best is probably in uh, some of the uh, European countries where they have a, a different duty of care. Mm. So in the Netherlands, yeah. if you hit a walking or a si- walker or cyclist, you're presumed at fault. You have to prove you're, you were not at fault. Amazing. Where for us, it's, yeah. a, it's kind of... It is the opposite, and sometimes I, I sort of fear it's a bit like, oh, you know, wrong place, wrong time, goes on the drop. You know, unlucky. we don't actually yeah. look at pedestrians. And, you know, some of the things about, you know, crossings you just mentioned, in Victoria, seniors are well overrepresented in pedestrian statistics. Yeah. Um, and they're mainly, uh, even though we, you see a lot of media about doddery old seniors doing the wrong thing, no, they're, they're very risk yeah, averse. Be careful where you go with this. <laughs> yeah. No, 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 I'm, 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 no, no. Kevin, it's, it's really key because it's not doddery old pedestrians. They're very risk averse. Yes. They're, uh, yeah. they're only at fault, uh, this is TAC research from a few years ago, in 12% of crashes where they're hit. Mm. So it's dr- bad driver behaviour and poor yeah. road design. Yeah. But the other thing is, I mean, we were involved in the, um, when I was on Fitzroy Council years ago, we were involved in fighting the freeway and uh, mm. Alexandra Parade, which was then a pretty much a, an open sort of playground almost before the freeway came through. But one, that, and you see it now everywhere where there's a, particularly where there's a median strip in the middle, like here at Victoria Street with the tram down the centre, it's almost impossible for any pedestrian short of Usain Bolt to, <laughs> yeah. to make it across the road yeah. at one light change. I mean, yeah, absolutely. And that, it's not even... The big ones, and it's appalling, those ones, because particularly in the inner city, we're saying cars have priority over people, not yeah. walkers, people. That's right. So mm. putting, you know, yeah. it's, it's mm. people in cans, canned people rather than the fresh ones. And, <laughs> and that's really where the priority. But it's even in shorter crossings. If you think, I think probably one of the most busy, the busiest pedestrian crossing in Victoria that I, th- I think is uh, Fed Square between Flinter Street and mm. Fed Square, busiest mm. tram route in the world. Mm. Um, busy. I think the busiest tram stop or up there, you can yeah. see it in the daytime when particularly seniors or people slow on their feet with disabilities, mm. they can walk on green and not complete their crossing before it's green for vehicles. Yeah. Mm. So that's the busiest crossing. If we can't get that right, that's an indication of how lowly our um, decision makers in transport place walking and walkers Mm. Yeah. So what what is it about um, urban design that makes a good walking space? Yeah, I think that the high level thing is there's three things, which is density, um, and I can come back to that because a lot of people don't sort of uh, very anti density, but density is really key because there's density and land use or destination. So destinations relevant to everyday life in walking distance, mm-hmm. your reason to walk, mm. and the other is connectivity. 
Mm. So connective street networks. Now, that's often planners kind of think of that in terms of cars, but connectivity in terms of walking. So safe, convenient, direct walking routes. Mm. Now, we design our – when we do take walking into account, which is not as much as it should be, Mm. we really design it around – me, fit, healthy adult males, mm-hmm. although I'm ageing fast and I'll soon be out of that demographic, <laughs> um, we don't do it around who I'd call more the walking dependent. Mm. So people who can be dependent on walking, kids, young people particularly, mm. seniors, not all, but many, and people with disabilities. And on top of that, there's a gender equity issue. Mm-hmm. We design our streets around males, not around women. Mm-hmm. So Australia is the fourth worst OECD country for women feeling safe walking at night. Wow. We, and that's 36 countries. We have the biggest gap of any OECD country between men feeling safe and women feeling unsafe. Wow. So mm. we don't design around, and women are much more likely, unfortunately, mm-hmm. to be caring for kids, yeah. for disabled, for seniors. Mm-hmm. So... That and the indication around traffic mm. signals, you said, yeah. Kevin, is, you know, they're, they're timed at roughly 1.2 metres per second. But, you know, your average 70-year-old and nearly half of pedestrians killed this year over the age of 70 mm. travel often about 0.9 metres per second. Mm. So that desi- so connectivity, land use uh, and de- density but also around safe, convenient walking routes for those who are more likely to walk. And 30% of the population approximately mm. don't have a driver's licence. Mm. Yeah. Not even don't have a car, but don't have a driver's yeah. licence. So there's a big cohort of our population that are not being catered yeah. for. On that question of um, women, you know, the high, high, fourth highest, you say, of women mm. feeling insecure, what could be done to overcome that? Uh, There's a lot of things. I'll just go on the traffic light example, which is one that I do when I'm talking to people in the Department of Transport or traffic lights. Traffic signals, when I get to a traffic light in the evening, at night time, it's dark and and I've got to press the beg button, please, sir, can I cross the road? Mm. I get frustrated and annoyed. But I think for particularly women and some elderly people, it's not just it makes it frustrated and annoyed, but can feel, leaves them feeling vulnerable and exposed. So that's an example of, well, if we designed it around, people would make sure that it was safe and convenient and inviting Mm. for people to walk. So I think there's obviously things around lighting, but it's not as simple as lighting. Mm. It's making sure that we have good passive surveillance onto our streets. Um, You know, walkability is not just a physical environment. It's mm. that other people walk. Mm. You know, we mm. know for parents will let kids walk to school if they more if they feel that there's other adults out looking out for mm. them. I think so. It's about it. it I, it's the issue of gender equity is not just a social issue. Mm. Men changing their behaviours. It's a transport and planning issue. So we don't design it to make sure our streets are safe, convenient, inviting, and you know. Beck, I'm quite sure that you've you would have thought like yeah. everyone. Sorry, yeah, sorry, <laughs> sorry. Would would have thought you know about you know these yeah. sort of issues. Oh, in- absolutely. And we've had shows before on on three CR about um, you know women's experience of public transport, for example, mm. and how um, interchanges don't connect up, and so you're left in in situations that are that feel vulnerable. And um, the built environment is a hu- has a huge impact on ha- how people feel. And like you yeah. say, if there's a range of people who aren't taken into account and aren't part of the decision making, yeah. it affects the way that people feel how how, how safe they yeah. feel in this we city. Don't, and I think you're right. And we don't. Another example is women walk for recreation over tw- twice, roughly twice as much as men, mm. and marginally more for transport. 
Um, governments are starting to do a little bit more think about public transport, not enough. Mm. Uh, family violence has been really big, big mm-hmm. uh, push of the current government, but not around public space. Yep. It's just nearly completely off the agenda. Mm. And in terms of recreation, our state sport and recreation Victoria doesn't really fund walking, even though it's the most popular physical activity, particularly mm. for women. Yeah. Uh, we... You know, we've got a reasonable social media following. Our Facebook's about 75,000 or so people. The vast majority are women. Mm. So that, like, we, uh, our female staff have started a Facebook group, Women Who Walk, around to, just for women uh, to celebrate places they walk but also mm. have those discussions around, yep. um, you know, what is important to them and how they can, uh, you know, be assisted, facilitated to walk around things like design. Mm. Coming back to the 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 factor of of crossings, yeah. is um, and you say like that uh, one of the things that has to happen is that people have to have safe and convenient walking routes. Yeah. Is it possible? And have you seen in some cities that walking routes take traffic out of it basically as much as possible? Yeah, and reroute traffic so that there are pedestrian routes that are um, yeah that just don't don't encounter cars. Yeah. yeah. I, I, First thing I'd say is one of the things we don't do well, and I, I, I sort of say, walking is really significant to our transport system. One in six of Victoria Melbourne's transport trips are done entirely on foot, not just to public transport. Mm. So when I say safe, convenient routes, it'd be like uh, to train stations, but public transport shops, key mm. shops. It's really important, like it's where state government should be funding routes, so you know that there's a 15-minute walking route you can get safe, conveniently, and direct to public transport. Because a large proportion of people who drive to train stations, uh, I think it's about uh, it's about a third live within. 800 metres as a crow flies, not direct. Mm. So there's an opportunity there. Mm. Just getting back uh, from the walking conference in uh, Rotterdam and looking at, you know, Rotterdam Station, Utrecht, Amsterdam, which is not so good for walking, but Utrecht and Rotterdam, where from the train stations, it's just got a pedestrian boulevard. You come out, it's really safe, it's really direct. They've been reducing the number of vehicles coming into the city, Mm. uh, separating walking and cycling, which is really key. Mm. Not combining. Amsterdam's pretty crap for that. They're mm. just totally cycling, <laughs> cycling orientated. And there's bikes everywhere. Of yeah, yeah. And <laughs> just so you listen, so I rode my bike here. I'm not anti bike, yeah. but it's really mm. about separating walking and cycling. Mm. But doing the taking for everybody's car- sake, yeah. it makes it faster for cyclists and yeah. more efficient. Yeah. yeah, you want to get there. You know, yeah. when I go to work, I want to get there as quick as I can. Yeah. So yeah. definitely, cities in Europe have been doing things like lowering speeds in high pedestrian areas and uh, residential areas, like 30K is the default just about, mm. nearly, in uh, most cities of Netherlands. So really, and lots of cities in Europe, but it's really about making sure that they do to those key destinations. They do a lot better than us. We're still mm. way too car-focused. Um, CBD is an example. The city council is doing some good things and planning to do good things as an integrated transport strategy, just released, mm. but the state government hasn't yet indicated they'll mm. come to the party. That's right, and the Herald Sun keeps interviewing motorists saying, this is terrible, we're losing our rights here. And yeah, that's, that's that right. entitlement <laughs> stuff and rights. Yes, and, that's right. You know, in the CBD, 43% of vehicles coming into the CBD don't even stop. They're just driving They're through. They're just driving, mm. driving through. Where European cities, they would stop that. I'll give you an example. 
some uh, Utrecht, it was really interesting. There was a canal turned into a four-lane highway about 40 years ago and about mm. 10 years ago we turned it to a canal. <laughs> um, they also had, in between yeah. the old city and a major destination, they had a really big multi-storey private car park. Mm. They worked with the owners to move the car park the other side of the the, the, the big building that uh, people came to. So it uh. meant that people didn't need to drive into the city. Yeah. For cyclists, they've got a 13,000 underground multi-storey bike park. Wow. uh, Rotterdam Station's got 5,000. So you ride in, put your bike, catch a train or walk. So this sort of level of planning is really quite sophisticated. And what's behind that? What is the motivation that's there that isn't here? I think it's come for a lot. I mean... the, the big thing in Amsterdam was probably in the 70s there was an incredibly large number of children killed on the roads mm-hmm. and in a way it was a child-led um, you know, uh, campaign really about reducing and that's when they started to look at taking cars away from streets and, and people think Europe's different. Yes, it is. It was built around people, not cars. However, in a Melbourne, the street we're on now was built laid out well before cars existed. We've just mm. allowed them to be dominated. Mm. So they've just taken cars out of central cities and mm. that's really the big move and slowing speeds down, which is a really critical thing. Well, these suburbs were built, of course, like a lot of the back lanes around Fitzroy at Collingwood and these inner-urban areas were yeah. for horses primarily yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, going <laughs> back when they were first built. So, yeah. yeah, And yeah. it was, you know, it's, it's like what we need to do is we need to look at how we most efficiently in the in areas that most efficiently move the greatest number of people. And it's not private vehicles. No, it really isn't. No. It's fascinating because when you think about places in Europe like, um, for example, Venice and people go there or Amsterdam and you think, God, isn't this fabulous? I feel so relaxed. It's so beautiful. Mm. The pace is so wonderful. And I think it takes a while to realise it's because it's pedestrian boulevards and it's not cars it's people yeah. Yeah, yeah it's people and that's well what... I, I went to one of those villages in the um, Cinque Terre in Italy yeah. and uh, cars were banned completely yeah. <laughs> the, the only problem was of course they had, a, they had a car park at the top where they went to other people's villages but um, yeah. they weren't allowed to drive into the village itself so, there's yeah. a number yeah. of cities around the world which are doing that and starting to do that yeah. in city centres which is great yeah. the city of Melbourne's plan for our little streets little Burke Collins is to make them low speed pedestrian priority zones mm. well, that's a great move that's because great Pedestrian congestion in the CBD is one of our major challenges. It really is, isn't it? Mm. Um, and so, oh, sorry, Kevin. No, go on. Oh, just on the issue of congestion, I noticed also on the Victoria Walks website there was a bit of a discussion about traffic congestion and um, the, the suggestion I think we would support on city limits that building more roads doesn't solve traffic <laughs> congestion. Can you talk about that? Yeah, it's induced demand. Actually, crazy. It's like, you know, I say... Now, building roads to solve congestions like smoking to cure your lung cancer. Mm, and yeah, ultimately, it, it makes us fatter, poorer and sadder, fatter because mm. we're stuck on our backsides in cars mm. for long periods of the day, poorer because we're dependent on cars we can't run, uh, afford to run, and sad because we're fat, broken away from our communities yeah. and loved ones. Mm. So we really can't do that mm. with population densities increasing in inner areas and urban sprawl. We just we just can't do it. And un- we understand the frustration of people living middle to outer suburbs who are f- car dependent, mm. forced car ownership, cheap lo- cheaper land and cheaper housing, but the costs of driving a car and they're stuck and they want to have solutions now and they need them now. Mm. So we understand that, you know, a lot of them want more roads built, 
but we can't do that. Mm. And it involves visionary leadership to say, absolutely, no, we're going to take a different tact. And we're not seeing that. Mm. Um, we do see that a lot more in Europe. Uh, there's a lot more, although Victoria Walks is not a you know, climate change mm. environmental group, we do see that climate uh, change, and that's about you know sustainable development mm. goals, is really key um, in a lot of European cities and some South American, that it's driving a lot of their public policy around transport infrastructure, transport and planning investment in a way we don't. We tend to bury our head in the sand to those things. Mm. I've always said it's the one thing I've hit on this program many times, the one thing that leads me to quote the Bible, that freeways beget freeways beget freeways beget <laughs> etc. Um, yes. but, uh, but also I think, just, I think there's a different mindset in the same person when that person is a driver of a motor car a cyclist or a pedestrian, and each one you've got a different mindset, I think, about the others. Yeah, you def- definitely do, I think, and which is something we have to get over. And, that, and I think that comes back to that sense of entitlement. And I know, you know, in talking to senior police, the concern mm. we have about, mm. and they have about, there's that sense of entitlement that I've got a human right to drive my vehicle, drive at whatever the posted speed, which is too high, mm. and not care about others. Mm. Um you know, I think that I remember I've been, you know, say riding a bike in Melbourne for many decades, mm. four decades or so. And I remember, you know, 30 years ago, if a car was veering over to you in the lane next year, tap on the mm. side of the car. Oh, sorry, mate. And that, you know, but now it's sort of people want to get out and that you, you've mm. touched my person, you've touched my body. And I've actually just yeah. tapped the side of the car with my knuckle. Mm. So I think that's kind of an indication and people not understanding like give away rules when turning and if a pedestrian or walker asserts their right, mm. the abuse they get that how dare you, mm. you know, mm. it's, or parking that people think, and we're going to release some research on this in a month or so, but people walking to shops and, you know, people thinking parking is so important mm. when, you know, that I, I need to park right out the front <laughs> of the shop I'm going. It's just an absurdity. Yes, yes. And also, of course, the, the layout of suburb, well, once you get outside the inner urban area particularly, mm. Many people live in situations where if you want to go and get a bottle of milk or something, you've virtually got to drive a car, yeah. Um, yeah. which, you know, defeats the whole purpose. Yeah. Of distance and, day, and, and quite, you know, hostile walking environments. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's prior to the Second World War, our, Melbourne was laid out around really public transport, mm. the train network. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you think of the, the stations in the inner to middle areas, you know, they had shops and services around. Yeah. So, you know, and, you know, People who walk, cycle, public transport tend to go to shops more frequently and stay longer than those who drive. And some mm. uh, research is showing some of them even spend more over a longer period of time because that's the type of inner city mm. living that we traditionally designed our suburbs that often mm. when you're going home you might have gone to the butcher or the baker or the dairy. So, But with increasing density, I think there's an opportunity for some of that to return. I'll give an example. Now, whether you eat meat or not doesn't matter. It's just an indicator. Butchers have been disappearing off the landscape because supermarkets, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and so butchers, you know, as a as a trade have been sort of slowly disappearing. But I noticed a couple of years ago in Clifton Hill, a butcher returned. Mm-hmm. Because you've got density, mm-hmm. there's a chance, and it's a bit of a boutique mm-hmm. one, um, but those sort of everyday shopping food can return all the small IGAs mm-hmm. rather than the big supermarket. Mm-hmm. But they only happen in areas with a level of density. Because um, there's a kind of a village 
um, uh, organisation in a way. And I think some of the best sort of functioning suburbs for pedestrians are the ones in the inner sort of inner city area yep. of Melbourne, which basically have everything you need in. in you can be in, in a walkable distance. Yeah, really. yeah. Which is um, what they say about designing cities that are good for for walking. Yeah, is that right? I think so. I mean, I'm I'm lucky enough just through good cha- luck and good fortune, live in sort of southern Northcote, and you know I've got kids at primary school and that sort of thing. But or one left at primary school, <laughs> high school. But you know we've survived without a car for 14 years, mm-hmm. and not particularly because any big environmental choice. It just life's easier. And so there's an equity issue for us too that mm. we will ha- we have a better quality of life because we don't need to run a car. Mm. And mm. I think that's important that other people across Melbourne should have the same mm. benefits. Mm. My kids will grow up being able to walk around the neighbourhood and you know learn you know how to engage with people with strangers and find their place in the world mm. because they can negotiate public space. Mm. We have better holidays because we don't own a car. Mm. You know, because <laughs> twelve grand a year the average car costs. We yes. don't have that, mm. so we can have better holidays. It's there's an inequity about inner city yeah, living that's right. which compared is, to yeah. the areas that I'm are. I'm sure your push bike and my push bike are much less costly to run every year. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you were saying? Um, no, I was just mm. checking the, the time. time. <laughs> yeah. And um, did right. you have any other? I was just going to make a point yeah. that there was an article in the Age a couple of weeks ago, um, which says that um, stock picker with early funds management. Um, and I've got the wrong glasses, have I? No, I've got the right glasses now. Emma Fisher says, and she, she says infrastructure boom is, is an economic fissure because big companies aren't making anything out of it other than transurban, interestingly enough. Uh, yeah. But it seems, you know, you've got these people investing who think you only invest in infrastructure if it makes a profit. Now, this, this is a real problem for things like bike paths or walking paths, I would have thought, because they, they don't necessarily make a massive profit. N- not to in, well, not to individual investors. They do make a profit to government if you think holistically around yeah. mm. the economic benefits uh, in terms of health, environment, uh, social and mental health, mm. um, you, know, you know, transport costs, all these sort of things. It does so... You know, health so, costs. Health costs are ma- massive. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, mental health costs as well from social connected communities and those sort of things. Um, but the econ- one of the challenges we've got is how our economic processes of government uh, and Treasury work against walking. So walking doesn't tend to get funded. And one of the reasons they don't collect data on walking uh, so when they do transport planning, you know, you input the various data and it spits out your response. Mm. But if you're not putting in walking data, you're often you're not mm. part of that response. So there's some major challenges, economic processes that really work against walking. Yeah. And but, so, oh, sorry. No, no, no. no I, I imagine that's a big part of what Victoria Walks does. And, yep. and is it something that people can get involved in? Uh, yeah. Um, you input into policy in high level. Uh, we do it. We're an evidence based organisation. There's a lot of research. Um, yep. Yeah, I'd encourage people, one, just to connect and see what we do. Um, we'd in- also encourage people to get involved locally. Uh, is the most important thing. So if your council is wanting to do things like take out some parking around the shops or invest in walking walking or cycling, if that's your event, really to get involved and support them. Too mm. often, I think, and count, some councils are doing some really good things, but there are the motoring lobby, people owning cars, are very loud. Mm. Traders are often their own worst enemy in fighting against walking and cycling. Mm. Mm. So I think, you know, get involved in your local community mm. to slow speeds, to invest in walking and cycling uh, and support your council when they're doing something good 
give them congrats because they they need it to keep it going. So encourage them to get involved locally. But you can look at our website, victoriawalks.org.au, to have a look. The other thing is if you're into recreational walking, check out our walking map site, which is walkingmaps.com.au, and that's just got great walks, particularly in Victoria, with photos, points of interest. Long weekend coming up. Get out and about. (laughs) That's a good segue for our next guest as well, who's coming from the Brunswick mm-hmm. Residents Network and talking about Moreland City Council and pedestrian safety. So Yeah, all right. Well, we could yeah. play a walking song. Track two. Yeah, m- Moreland's... loneliness can do Since I've been away I have loved you There you go. Walking song. Um, Okay, next guest. You introduce Nancy Atkins joining us in the studio, and she's representing the Brunswick Residents Network. Thank you for coming in. Good morning. Yeah. So you guys have had some recent forums talking about public uh, pedestrian safety in Moreland. Is that right? Yes. What happened was one of our um, members who has some mathematical skills, Andrea Bunting, did some number crunching, and she discovered that. that Moreland is one, has one of the highest rates across all municipalities in the metropolitan area for road deaths. It's the second highest for road deaths and it's also very high yeah. over the last, I think, 15 years she looked at for um, for serious injuries as well. Right. And then she did some further analysis and 
and discovered that road deaths in uh, Moreland, in the city of Moreland, the majority of them are pedestrians and often older people, mm-hmm. which I think Ben probably mm. uh, mentioned, uh, yeah. would have mentioned. Yeah. So this inspired us to say, well, look, there's a very vocal bike lobby, which is fantastic, mm-hmm. but there's really no one speaking up loudly on the local level for pedestrians. Mm-hmm. And so um, there are occasionally clusters of people around particular locations that camp, run particular campaigns. I might talk about that in a, in a minute. Mm. But overall, it's it's not greatly discussed. And so it goes, it goes through to the keeper a bit, you know, mm-hmm. um, there's not many great initiatives taken for pedestrians in in the in the big picture mm. and anyway so we had a public meeting there was a lot of interest people came along threw in lots of interesting comments they pointed out their their pedestrian danger spots that they were particularly concerned about and danger issues mm. and we're going to follow up on the 12th of November with a follow-up uh, more like a kind of working meeting where we work out what priorities we'll campaign on and mm. what types of campaigns we'll run. So that's pretty soon, the 12th of November. Yes, it's a Tuesday in 10 days' time at the St Ambrose Community Centre in Sydney Road, just next to St Ambrose Church. Mm-hmm. What time is that? And that's at 6.30, from 6.30, 6.30. to 8. I presume that's PM. Yes. Um. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Some of us did right. get up very early in the morning to, sport, uh, to go down to the convention centre this morning, but we don't yes. normally do that. <laughs> Nancy has come from the IMARC blockade. You're in the Climate Choir, is that uh, right? Yes, yes. I'm the accordionist for the Climate Choir. Fantastic. So, well, so it's we, an honour uh, to have you here. Thank you. We yes. serenaded uh, yeah. the protesters and the police with some very fine songs this morning. Wonderful. Um, so back to the pedestrian issues. What sort of things were people bringing up in the meeting that you had? A whole range of things. Um, ben mentioned, I think, that the particular dangers around intersections. Mm-hmm. There's a bit of a myth where people say, oh, it's people jaywalking and then they get run over. Mm-hmm. Um, but the statistics show that actually it's usually at intersections and it's often people, uh, cars, not mm-hmm. stopping for pedestrians. Mm-hmm. And... People from all over uh, Brunswick and Coburg came along to the meeting and had particular examples of their their unsafe crossing mm. and then the flow-on of the unsafe crossings to, um, uh, to discouraging parents mm. to have their kids walk to school or to have them walk by themselves to school or ride bikes to school. Yeah. So there's a whole sort of flow-on there into the issues of sustainability mm. and people using their cars more than they uh, using cars more than they should, and mm. kids not getting exercise, and so on and so forth. Then there's just all the the maintenance issues. As mm. I walked down Sydney Road yesterday, and and it's kind of classic, you know, the 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 footpath, which is actually reasonably wide, has been narrowed by some yeah. very untidy. Um, untidy stools and little desks outside a, a, a new coffee shop and the footpath had had holes in it. Mm. So that maintenance issue, in many of the side streets in Brunswick, that's been made worse by uh, both on the road level and on the footpath level by, by construction and developers come mm. and they dig it all up and then they do a really slapdash job when they... they um, Put it down um, when they leave, and of course, uh, then it's hard to track back who actually left the mess there. And mm. and Brunswick's mm. full of old factories, which, as people probably know, are being converted into um, into high high rise, mm. uh, high density dwellings. And so mm. that's an issue. Yeah. Um, the issue that uh, that Ben raised a few minutes ago about lighting and people feeling safe walking at night uh, was another one. Mm. Yeah. 
So those were mm. some of the range of issues that, that people raised at the meeting. That question, though, I mean, it's not just in Brunswick, but it's here in Collingwood as well. When I was in Sydney Road yesterday as well, it always frustrates me that the cafes have all these things out the front and they just so narrow the footpath yes, and that you've got to keep giving way if someone's a woman pushing a pram or something. You, yeah. Yeah, you and from the economic aside, rationalist yeah. point of view, I... I once heard uh, how, how much the cafes pay for that space, and it's a very, it seems to me to be a very low rate. I think it's below the market, market rate for per square yeah. metre. And so, yeah. so, sure, it makes it look groovy, but once again, um, once again, as was said earlier in the, in the program, it's great for people who are sort of young and healthy and like to hang out on the, uh, on the mm. footpath, but for the people who are you know, pushing a walking frame, mm. it makes it all a bit of a challenge. Mm. And so anecdotally with the crossings, um, I've noticed that cars tend to have that sense of entitlement when they're turning. And, and Ben mentioned this as well. And it sounds yes. like this is the key thing about um, the injuries and deaths that have occurred in Moreland is that the it's to do with crossings um, on designated crossing spaces where cars haven't given way the, as they should. Yeah, I, do, I don't. we don't have the exact analysis of each of yeah. the, the serious accidents, yeah. but, but certainly... Certainly, anecdotally, we know that I was in a car with a good friend of mine who I regard as a good driver, mm. and we came out of a little side street into a slightly uh, less minor street mm-hmm, in, mm-hmm. in Brunswick with a lot of traffic running along it. And she was unaware that she had to actually stop doing at any T intersection. Mm. She just didn't know that she mm. absolutely had to stop and wait for the pedestrians to go across. And I mm. think that sort of ignorance is quite widespread. And then, of course, you have um, people who've never driven a car and, and don't know the road rules but get on a bike and don't know mm-hmm. when that, that they're supposed to stop for pedestrians mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. yeah so and many lights, of course, particularly, say, on bike paths and walking paths, the, the lights are geared for the traffic coming through. So you can yes. wait an inordinately long amount of time, yes. which is quite frustrating for cyclists in particular. And it does force a lot of cyclists to go when they think it's clear, yes. um, which I don't blame them, by the way, because mm. you can sit there. But sometimes you have to wait almost two light changes to get a green on some of those. Well, and there's those major roads where you where, where you actually have to go to a median strip and then wait again. Mm. And so mm. that, I think, forces people sometimes, I know... Um, on Alexander Parade in Fitzroy, where you have you're officially yeah. supposed to wait in the middle, and then, um, and, unless you're very lucky, you have to wait for two whole, yeah. very mm. slow cycles. Yeah, of I raised lights. it earlier. It's there. It's here at Victoria Street. Mm. I yes. mean, I made the yes. point. Unless you're saying Bolt, you can't get across in one go. <laughs> unless you want, uh, you're saying Bolt. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so then, what you do if you're on a bike? Um, this is diverting from the pedestrian que- uh, mm. question, but so. Outside the Fitzroy bars, instead of going through that crossing, go through the back streets. Mm. If you're in a hurry, you go down Brunswick, uh, Brunswick Street because the lights mm. change more quickly. So you mm. take an option that's that's less safe. Mm. Recently, I wrote to Vic Rhodes about um, a particular set of lights in Ligon Street that are very slow to to change. And they and um, so what happens is that people see a tram coming. They know the lights are slow to change, so they run across through the traffic to the tram. The Vic Roads people didn't read my letter properly and their response was, well, there, there was plenty of time for people to get across at that particular crossing, which is true, uh, but that they didn't want to uh, slow down the traffic. Mm. Um, the, the, you know, it was a major road and they didn't want to slow the traffic any further. Mm. So, yeah, which is what the priorities are. problem really. with the mindset, although Vic Road supposedly is now... Um, regarding pedestrians is more of a priority, in yeah. fact. 
Yeah. It's it's not uh, translated into rea- into reality. That's right. So they've gone from 0% to about 5% or something. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yes. And so what are some of the ideas that you think are um, on the cards in terms of what's going to happen next for the Brunswick Residents Group to take to the council? Well, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, that's what we're going to discuss at our next meeting. So, mm. you know, the question is do we – there are some local initiatives that, that would – we had some of the people who'd run, six, run or were running yeah. very powerful local campaigns. Uh, do we back up some local issues like that? Do we go more for a sort of, ed, you know, big-scale education campaign? The people around the East Brunswick Primary School yeah. a couple of years ago had a, big, a whole lot of posters saying slow down, mm-hmm. you know, that, that, that sort of message. Um, so those are some of the options that that will be will be will be canvassing. Mm. Are there um, more big picture ideas about you know planning through routes? Mm. Are there campaigns around schools that that people might consider? Darabin has got an this um, we covered in the at, in our latest Brunswick Residents Network newsletter, which you can easily find online mm. online either through Facebook or on our WordPress site. And um, so Darabin has this this octopus system of mapping, um, mm. ma- mapping safe routes mm. to school, and encouraging people to go along safe routes to get to their local schools. Mm. Uh, yeah. And so Moreland doesn't have that. Uh, not not in that way. So yeah. yeah. Anyway, so we you know we will discuss which which particular campaigns we should. Um, Mm. We should back. Well, Moreland, of course, is currently you know throwing up ideas for Sydney Road and particularly mm. to make bicycles much more safe mm. or cycling much more safe. Are pedestrians included in that sort of consideration? The the plans that were the the discussion around Sydney Road has been very disappointing because what happened was a cyclist was killed um, yeah. two years ago. There was a huge you know outpouring of concern mm. from the community and of, you know compassion for his. Uh, Family, and then there was there was actually quite a high level meeting pulled together by the then local member of parliament, Jane Garrett, uh, where we had all the you know heads of various agencies. They all said this is a big problem. Stuff needs to be done about Sydney roads not safe. Mm. Uh, then, after two years later, now eventually very slowly, Vic mm. Roads came up with some designs, and they had five possible designs. One of which didn't change it much, and the one that was most popular. Um, created a totally separated bike lane yeah. and widened the footpaths. Mm. So um, then uh, Moreland Council said, uh, asked the state government to trial that particular option in the very bottom section of Sydney Road, south of the town hall. Mm. And um, the local member, who's now the Greens member, Tim Reid, uh, received back to what I thought was a rather curt letter from the Minister for Transport saying that while the level crossing works were going on in Coburg, she wasn't even going to consider any of these options. Her own department, having come up, having worked through and come up with options, she has now shelved it for presumably four years until the level, level crossing works are uh, completed. Yeah. So it's that very... was kind of a no to the question, wasn't it, really? Uh, <laughs> yes. About <but> pedestrians. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. But why, anyway? So wow. why do all this work and then just put yeah, it on ice for four years? Because, in fact, uh, of, course, be... then of course, once they talked about the separation and the footpath being widened, traders started screaming about no parking and all that sort of stuff. Yes, so. well, the trader lobby mm-hmm. is... Um, 
the trade, trade lobby is always very vocal and they have what I think is a sort of knee-jerk reaction to any suggestion of removing parking. Mm. Sydney Road uh, is lined with off-street car parks. If they were well signposted, I'm sure that... Mm. The, People would the, have enough the, places the to park. very few car parks that are actually along Sydney Road would not be would not be much of a loss. In the, in yeah. Much of a loss. I mean, a lot yeah. of the major businesses, um, Bunnings, for example, La Mana, um, yeah. fruit and veggie shop have their own yeah. parking out the back. All the big supermarkets have their own parking, mm-hmm. but and there are plenty of other car parks. That, yeah. yeah, and Ben mentioned that um, pedestrians and cyclists often stay for longer and spend more. So yes, he, yeah, yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, and of course, yeah. if they go into those car parks, so the motorists might actually have to walk. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, so it sounds like they the results that they got from the um, feedback wasn't probably what they were hoping. That they were hoping for something a little bit more minimal. I don't perhaps. know. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know yeah. what caused this very peculiar response from mm. the minister. Which, I mean, why mm. say we're not going to anyway? Yeah. Why not do some? planning work even if you don't want to do implementation or exactly you know. yeah anyway okay um, well well the meeting yeah. that you're having is um 12th of november that's right uh yes yes, yes at um, 6 30 at night yeah at san ambrose at san ambrose community center in sydney road just up from the town hall wonderful so people can get involved in that way and have yes, a say great. if there's any yeah. you know brunswick coburg area residents yeah. you know there have been some Fabulous groups that have been very successful, and unfortunately, it's, unfortunately or fortunately, it's often the squeaky wheel yeah. that, um, that gets things done. There's mm. going to be a new bridge just behind uh, Ceres to so that mm. kids can go safely mm. from the western part Uh-oh. of Northcote oh. across the bridge to Brunswick East Primary School, which is their nearest oh. local school. Great, and that was done basically by a group of of uh, mums from the school yeah. who were really good community yeah. organisers. They got a petition, they did a survey, they, they've they um, got two councils, Darabin and, and Moreland, to agree to put in a quite large amount of money to mm. build a bridge. So that's and been and that just makes so much sense, doesn't yeah. it? I mean, it's something yes. that seems yes. so logical. Yes, it'd be fabulous for pedest- pedestrians and um, cyclists to be able to go f- between the two suburbs on back streets rather than... Um, mm. Rather than rather than having to go down to Arthurton Road, which is really horrible yeah. to go to yeah. go to. Uh, thank yeah. you so much for coming in, no, Nancy. It's thank you for having me. Yeah, we'll have to wind up, unfortunately, but um, it's been a great show. Okay, well, you organised. It's been a great show. <laughs> yeah, and if people want to, uh, if people want to be on our e list or get in contact, we're Brunswick Residents Network. Put it into Google, and you'll come up with both our Facebook and with our. Um, WordPress site, and you can have a look there and see what's happening and sign up to Fantastic. our e-news. Thank you so right, much. Next week you won't be here. I'm organising, so it won't be such a great show. <laughs> but uh, it's sure Transport next week with John McPherson, and we've got a bloke um, coming in as well to talk to us about some local, again, local issues around Fitzroy, etc. in transport. So there you go. Street, me and my mind. I feel.
Some things have changed, yeah, but so much is the same. It's still got the soul I loved the first time I came. to be more But it's still got some good ones and cafes galore The disposal store finally closed It had had its day But Friends of the Earth still does a healthy trade There's been some problems over the years But mostly people seem to live and let live I'm gonna stand outside of Safeway Taking a slice of life Watch the world go by Two world wars. There were ancient.